bear this word with all diligence and, and uh, that you would just speak to him, Lord, and through him, that the word would come in power and in great glory and that we would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank oh, all the way up here. All right. Get my peripheral vision in line so I can see the side of here. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah. I was just thinking as he was, Tom was reading that, you know, in the natural, we would, if you were reading, someone was doing the Morse code thing, you say to stop. But I just wanted to say, don't stop after everything that you, you know. Spot on prophetic words, don't stop. Baptism in the Spirit, don't stop. It's good that they're getting all that. Well, uh, I uh, ended up with uh, the task of unpacking godliness this morning uh, from this list in uh, 2 Peter 1, which I'm going to read the entire scripture again. I think it's good for us just to kind of continue to digest the whole thing. You know, we're breaking it up in parts, and we're teaching on parts, but it's just good to see it within its context and really uh, hear what the Lord is saying. Plus, at the beginning of this chapter, um, we're going to see that he mentions godliness before he mentions it in the list. And uh, so I kind of wanted to make sure we covered everything in relationship to this. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your Bible apps, um, turn to Second Peter 1. And we're going to start right at the beginning. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So right away, he's already telling us, before we even hit the list of the things he wants us to add to our faith, he's telling us, I've already given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. So he's already kind of setting us up here. Key verse here, or part of this verse, through the true knowledge of him. Through the true knowledge of him. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply or add moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours or increasing, they neither render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So he tells us that he gives us everything pertaining to godliness. I'm just going to say that for the sake of that's what we're focusing in on this morning. He's given us, granted us everything pertaining to godliness through the true knowledge of him. And then he tells us to add to our faith godliness. So the word here in the Greek is Eusebia. 
for godliness. Uh, don't have notes this morning, so I apologize for that, but I'll spell it for you. So in case you want to write it down, you don't have to do a phonetic uh, spelling. It's E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A, Eusebia. And it means piety. It means toward God, godliness, devotion. Okay, it can also be translated or defined to mean good fear, reverence, or awe. We are told to supply this to our faith. So before we even jump into several of the scriptures that are in the New Testament, I do want to make a clarification right off the bat so everybody is on the same page. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. Okay, I just I wanted to be clear. We've heard that our entire life. Our mothers and grandmothers used it to control us when we were little, right? And you may have some forgiveness issues you need to work out. But it didn't even make the list in 2 Peter. I just want to be clear. Cleanliness is not in here. Now, cleanliness is a good thing. I want to encourage that, right? Continue to bathe and shave and wash your hair and brush your teeth. All right, this is good, but it's not on the list. So we just I want to get that out of the way so we can move forward here with godliness, all right? <laughs> So let's look at some of the godliness uh, scriptures that we see in the New Testament. And it's interesting. Um, I didn't know that there was a lot there. Honestly, uh, I haven't done much of a study on this before. So this was a good thing for me to dig into, a good eye-opener for me. Uh, As we get into some stuff a little bit later on, it really was just very encouraging but very... uh, just eye-opening, I guess, is the way I could put it. I didn't think, you know, there was a, a ton there. Godliness, we hear the word a lot, you know, being godly. You know, we kind of talk about it. It's made our Christianese vocabulary, um, but I don't know that, you know, any of us have really uh, searched it out. So a- as we get into this, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm only a- unpacking a little bit here. There is a lot. There is another message, especially as we get towards the end of my message and really where I'm going to land on this. So I want you to be Berean. I want you to to go home and study this out. I'm going to give you a couple spoonfuls that's going to taste good, and then you go home and you start cooking a meal, okay? Um, But there are some scriptures in the New Testament in relationship to godliness. Paul uses it twice in his letter to Timothy, or two areas. He talks about godliness, and we see 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He he unpacks it a little bit. Um, So I just wanted to look at 1 Timothy 4 here. And I'm not going to do the whole chapter. I have the whole chapter written out. But uh, right smack dab in the middle of it, he talks about godliness. But I do want to mention this as we get into 1 Timothy 4 and 1 Timothy 6. In both passages of Scripture, in both places, Paul basically is talking about people, a warning of people falling away from the faith. And he puts godliness in the middle of, of both of those. I find it interesting um, in this context that, that Paul is basically saying, hey, some people have fallen away, or some people have shipwrecked, or some people have, you know, gone off the course. And he, and he prescribes godliness, I think, as one of those things uh, that's, that helps keep us on course. And so we'll see this here, in, um, starting in verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, this again, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine which you have been following but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For body discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also 
the life to come. Now, this is a parallel in some respects to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and following, where he talks about we run in such a way to win a prize, right? He says, I buffet my body and I make it my slave. Um, he says, I exercise, an athlete and myself, I exercise self-control. It's interesting, that's in the list that we've been going over in this Second Peter 1 passage. Self-control, he ties self-control to godliness, right? We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Body discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, okay? And then I want to skip down to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to talk about godliness and contentment. Um, in 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6, um, before we even get to the contentment part, I'm going to read two other mentions of godliness in this passage. In verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, these of our Lord Jesus Christ and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. And he goes on to talk about, you know, basically, you know, these, these bad qualities in a person. This is also echoed in Titus 1.1, where he talks about godliness in relationship to the truth. So we see he's talking about a doctrine conforming to godliness. In other words, the truth or the word should be leading us in the path of godliness. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We should have doctrine that conforms us to godliness. Skip down to verse 11 real quick. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Here's part of the list, making its, you know, poking its head up again, right? Of the Second Peter 1 list. We have perseverance, right? Pursue godliness. So we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We are to pursue godliness. So there's, there's something here. You know, like I said, when I first started, you know, looking into this and digging into this, I wasn't sure I was going to find a whole bunch of stuff on godliness. But there's, there's some solid meat here that's beckoning us to pursue out what it really means to, to walk in godliness. Now let's come back to verse 6, or verse 5, right? Um, constant friction between men of depraved mind and, and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is the means of gain, right? So he says we're to have the doctrine that conforms to godliness. We don't want to get into quarrels, controversial questions, dispute about words. Um, men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose godliness is a means of gain. And then verse 6 he says... But godliness actually is a means of great gain. How? When it's accompanied by contentment. Okay? So we're starting to get a little bit of this, uh, what godliness is, what godliness is related to here. And he says, have godliness, yes. But what really makes godliness work is contentment. Okay? As a means of great gain. And the word contentment simply means satisfied, to be satisfied. So the, the first thing I want to challenge you with this morning is, are you satisfied? Now, and from a spiritual walk standpoint, we should not be satisfied, right? Uh, as, as I'll mention later, and I always mention in all, in all the times I ever get up to teach, Romans eight twenty nine. he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. 
So we shouldn't be satisfied from a spiritual standpoint until we reach that place, until we're fully conformed into the image of Jesus. But I want to ask it from a different perspective. Are you satisfied with where you are in life in the sense that you're satisfied with God? That he's enough. Because if God is not enough, he will never be enough. It will never be enough. Okay? No matter what you have. And this is what we're landing on here in this verse, right? Godliness and contentment are a means of great gain. We talk about, you know, the the word godliness can mean devout, right? Devoted to. If we're devoted to God, if we have devotion towards God, he will be enough in our circumstances, right? As he told Paul, right, my grace is what? Sufficient for you, right? Are you content? It doesn't mean you don't try to make things better. It doesn't mean you don't try to, you know, get out of circumstances that aren't favorable for you or aren't good for you. But the question is, are you satisfied with God in the midst of your circumstances? How do you know that you are not walking in contentment? Here are some signs. Do you see envy in your life in relationship to other people? Do you struggle with jealousy in relationship to other people? I mentioned this in my last message on on worship. Are you grumbling and complaining? What's coming out of your mouth? Right? These are signs that we're not content. Are your eyes never satisfied? Right? Once you get something, are you already looking for the next thing? Right? We see this with kids at Christmas, right? Like they open up their toy, they're excited for the first half an hour until they've pretty much, you know, shoved it back under the tree and they're looking for the next thing. Right? Are your eyes never satisfied? If so, chances are you may not be walking in contentment, satisfied with God in your present circumstances. An example of this would be Jesus when he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay? He wasn't saying, I will never eat natural food again. He was saying, if I have a choice between eating and doing his will, I'm going to choose to do his will. Just like when the devil tempted him in the wilderness, right? Turn these stones to bread. And what was Jesus' response? Man does not live by bread alone, Right? but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was satisfied with his relationship with the Father in his circumstances, no matter what they were. And he went through a lot, more than anybody else on the face of the planet. We can't even really fathom how much Jesus went through. But in all of his circumstances, whether it was hunger, whether it was, you know, being persecuted or being, you know, crucified, he was satisfied, he was content in his circumstances with his father. So the question comes to us. If we're going to walk in godliness and contentment, we have to deal with the issue of contentment. Right? Yes, we want to pursue godliness. We want to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. But it's a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Are we satisfied with God in our present circumstances? I think that's the quickest way to get out of the circumstances that aren't favorable for us in our lives. Is, is saying, Lord, your will be done, not my will be done, right? So we see that coupling of, of godliness and contentment. 
Now I want to move on to the next pairing that I see in relationship to godliness in the scriptures, and that's godliness and holiness. It's interesting, that came up several times uh, in, in different scriptures here. 2 Peter 3.11 Since all these things are to be dissolved, and he's talking about the earth is going to be gone, the heavens are going to be gone, right? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? It's pairing again, right? Godliness and contentment, now we see godliness and holiness. In 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And we're going to get way more into the fear of God in just a second. Um, but we saw that that was one of the translations of godliness, right, was reverence, awe. It's a good fear, okay? And he talks about holiness to completion in the fear of God, okay, or in godliness. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. There's that pairing again. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Godliness and holiness go hand in hand. In Genesis 22:12, I, I felt this example here with Abraham, uh, not withholding Isaac, was, was connected to this. He said, do not, this is the Lord speaking, or the, the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. Right? He's getting ready to sacrifice his own son. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay? Now Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But we'll, we see in Romans, it talks about that his belief was really made manifest in his obedience to the Lord. And willing to do what God had asked him to do. Right? There's that godliness and holiness coming together. Obedience to what the Lord is asking us to do. Another definition of, of godliness that we see in the scriptures is that we talk about it as either being devout or devotion or being devoted to God's, towards God, right? And, and a simple definition of devotion is loyalty, dedication, enthusiasm. Even the word enthusiasm, right, we get from the words in theos, in God, okay? We're called to be devoted. Godliness has a a picture of us being devout, right? We see several examples of this in Scripture. One of the ones that may be probably the least spoken on, but maybe one of the best examples is Enoch, right? He walked with God, he pleased God, and God just took him, right? He walked with God, he was pleasing, his life was pleasing to God, and therefore God said, hey, let's, let's hang out. Right? Devotion. He was devout. He was devoted to the Lord. The purpose in moving closer to God or towards God is to become more like Him. Again, this goes back to that Romans 8.29 passage that I love so much. He predestined us to be conformed to His image. Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 We are transformed what? From glory to glory as we behold the Lord as in a mirror. 
Okay? The purpose of moving towards God is to become like Him. That's what He wants. The purpose of obedience and holiness, as we've just talked about that coupling of godliness and holiness, is to have continued unbroken fellowship with Him. Holiness is not an end. It's a means. Right? And I think a lot of times in church, we, get, we can get so caught up on, oh, we need to be holy. We need to live a holy life. Why? Just so that we can be holy? No. So that we can have that continued unbroken fellowship. And in that continued unbroken fellowship, He changes us. He makes us more like His Son, Jesus. He transforms us into His image. He puts Himself in us in a way that it pushes everything out that doesn't need to be there. That's the purpose of holiness. Holiness in and of itself doesn't bring necessarily the transformation. It's God being changed to be like Him that brings the transformation. Beloved children, imitate Him. Right? Be like Him. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to to be devoted to Him so that we have that continued unbroken fellowship with Him. That's what was lost in the garden. That's what He died to bring back. Relationship. Fellowship. So that we could be with Him. Devotion, biblically, could be summed up in in the following four things. Number one, pursuit of the knowledge of God. Now, it's interesting during worship this morning how everything was just really about what we see. And then that word came forth and And Tom just, you know, was putting the amen on that, right? This word, as we're going to see, of godliness has a lot to do, especially as we break it down in the Hebrew, um, has a lot to do with how we see, right? And pursuing the knowledge of God, we even saw that in that 2 Peter passage, right? He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, what? Through the true knowledge of him. It's seeing him as he is, in his fullness. I don't want to spill the beans because i got more notes coming. In. Then I'll have to figure out what to say. But um, it really is, if we're going to talk about knowing God, it's not just knowledge, Bible knowledge of who he is. It's not just, you know, experiential knowledge of being in his presence. It's knowing him. It's seeing him in his fullness. And it, I meant... Let's talk about some of the people who saw God in their fullness, right? Isaiah gets pulled up into the presence of God, chapter 6, right? And what is, what is his response? Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips. From a people of unclean lips, I am undone, right? The angels, the cherubs that are, that are above his throne, the cherubim and the seraphim, there are angels who are covering their eyes with their wings. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys know David Slyker um, from IHOP. Anyway, he came out and, and spoke a couple times at our church in California. And he just would do this and, you know, talk about the angels that were around the God and the four living creatures. And, you know, and he'd be like, whoa! Because every second, every moment, God is revealing himself. And they're getting a fresh revelation of who he is. Right? That's why the angels are probably like, oh my gosh, this is too much. You know? He's, he's beautiful, but he's awesome. He's, I mean, like, you know, look at John. Here's John, the disciple, right? Who's hanging out with Jesus. He's 
the self-professed disciple that Jesus loves. If you guys ever write books, you might want to leave that out. Okay? <laughs> I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That's like Moses writing, I'm the most humble man on the face of the planet. Got to ask both those guys when we get to heaven. Did you really mean to write that? The Lord told you to write it? Okay, that's cool. Right? But here's John hanging out with Jesus. He's the disciple that Jesus loves. At the Last Supper, he's leaning on Jesus, right? But what happens in the book of Revelation when Jesus shows up? Is he like, dude, what's up, my buddy? Oh, he's like, hair of wool, eyes of fire, I'm on my face like a dead man. The revelation and the fullness of who God is. We're called to pursue that devotion, right? Pursuit of the knowledge of God, knowing him and seeing him as he is. Number two, walking in the fear of God, reverence and awe. And we're going to talk about that more. Number three, living in the love of God. And number four, hungering after the presence of God. That's a devoted life. There are plenty more examples of of people in Scripture, obviously, who fit the bill in relationship to this. Seeing God as he is and pursuing the knowledge of who he is. Walking in the fear or the reverence and awe of God. Living in the love of God and hungering after the presence of God. That's a devout life. And there's plenty of examples of, of people in history who fit that bill. I believe there are plenty of examples of people in this church who are devoted. They're devout. So my question for you, my second challenge to you this morning is, what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to in life? Now, there are plenty of things in life worthy of some measure of devotion in our lives. Our marriages are worth devotion. Our family is worth devotion. Our church life is worth devotion. It really is, though, a matter of priority. Because God has to be where the majority of our devotion is aligned. What are the things that we are most devoted to? I, you know, we all have these struggles, right? We all have areas in our lives. Every fall, I have this struggle. I'm not having it anymore after yesterday. You guess that that devotion is to Virginia Tech football, right? Seems to wane a lot these last couple of years. Right? But I always go into it excited about you know, the possibilities of what they may do. and just, We're going to have to wait a couple of years, I guess, see if it's going to pan out. Right? But I struggle with that. My wife is quick to remind me that I'm probably devoted a little bit too much. Right? She reminds me, you don't miss, when's Tech playing next? You got that down, right? You know what time, you know what station. Mm-hmm, okay. Right? Anybody feeling me out there? Can I get any amen? So what are we devoted to? What are the things in our lives that have first place, right? His desire, Colossians 1, is to have first place in everything. Now here's where I really want to unpack some stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, as I already mentioned, this, this is just scratching the surface of what I feel like 
there is revelation for us as a body. And it's in relationship to godliness and the fear of the Lord. Okay? I've had some good conversations this week around this subject. And, and I just want to say out front, I'm not, I haven't landed yet. My plane is still circling the airport. Um, but, like, there's a tanker that keeps coming around and filling me up. Um, because there, there's something here, I believe, for us all. There's something, as individuals and as a corporate body, I really believe the Lord wants to unpack this for us. Um, but, as I mentioned, that word, Eusebia, godliness, it can be translated as awe, reverence, good fear. Okay, and we're going to see the Hebrew version of that in a second. And it's just like faith is to the New Testament, trust is the Old Testament. Uh, godliness to the New Testament really is the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. Okay? And this, as we're going to see, is a good fear. Alright? When we talk about fear, we've got to, we're going to have to learn to um, I was going to try to say differentiate, which I can never say really well. So I've got to figure out another word for that. Distinguish, thank you. Between two types of fear here, okay? Godliness as the fear of the Lord. Good fear, reverence, awe. In the Hebrew, the word for fear, and in the context of the fear of the Lord, is yirah or yirats. Y-I-R-A-H or Y-I-R-A-T. And interestingly enough, as I begin to, to dig into this, this word has to do with sight in the Hebrew. How we see. Okay? And it's a word we see used over and over again in the scriptures when the fear of the Lord is spoken of. And in Jewish thought, there are three different levels or three kinds or three types of fear. This is where we're going to see the difference, right? We're going to be able to distinguish between the fear of the Lord and then the fear in the natural. All right, the first level of, or type of fear is fear of pain, unpleasant consequences, or punishment. And in layman's term, it's the fear of getting caught. It's the base level of fear. It's often connected to the world and to the flesh and its manifestation. It's also the fear that manifests itself in relationships with people. Fear of another person or fear of what another person might think of you. Okay? We see this uh, when Saul, right, uh, is waiting for Samuel to show up, and Samuel is late showing up, and Saul gets worried and concerned and fearful, as he confesses after the, afterwards, that the people are fleeing him. So he goes and he offers the sacrifice himself. That's that fear, okay? The second level of fear is the fear of judgment. And we're progressing in the right direction here, but this is also not a good fear for us. We fear what might happen when we transgress the law of God. And the reason this is connected to sight is because it has a wrong view of God. It views God as the cruel taskmaster who is waiting for us to slip up and to put us back in our place. And unfortunately, this fear gets preached from many a pulpit. Right? It's the fear of sin. It's the fear of you know, God's going to get you, right? If you mess up, he's, he's up there waiting to beat you down, right? Once you, you better not sin because here he comes, okay? And a picture of this would be Adam in the garden, right? He was hiding, why? He was afraid, okay? 
Now, this third level of fear is what we're talking about here in relationship to the fear of the Lord. It's genuine reverence and awe of God. This is the fear that's described in Proverbs 8.13 and many other passages, which we're going to read here in a few minutes. The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. In contrast to our love for him, everything else that would compete for our love pales in comparison. And those things that would hinder our love, things that are not of him, we learn to hate or push away, right? This is a good fear. Now, I want to define the word evil here, right? To hate all evil because even in our upbringing and our culture, you know, we, we kind of maybe have a very narrow, maybe very broad uh, definition of what evil is, right? Like I would ask my students, I teach Bible at a Christian school here in the area, and, and I would ask them, what is evil? And you get the quintessential answer, right? Who's number one? The devil, right? Okay. Who's number two? In the natural world. Like Hitler, okay? <laughs> he always comes up in the conversation whenever you mention evil, right? And so we, we tend to personify. But evil is not a thing. It's a lack of, right? Just like darkness is a lack of light, evil is a lack of God or a lack of good, right? So we want to be careful to define this. So anything that's not of God can be classified as what? Evil, right? We don't want to personify and we don't want to put it in this box that, you know, where we say, well, these things are evil, right? Serial killers, evil. People that do lesser stuff, not so much, right? Whatever is not of God, if it's not good, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, right? God who's in heaven, he defines goodness. Therefore, the lack of God in any circumstance or situation would dictate what? Evil, right? So, we, but we learn to hate anything that's what? Not God, right? We want things to be in God, connected to God, from God, to God. Those are the things. So to hate, you know, as, the, as it says, the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. It's to learn to push away things that aren't of God, that aren't God himself, okay? An example of these contrasting fears, right? So we talk about these three levels of fears, two of them that aren't good for us. You know, one's the base human fear, one's a religious fear. The third one's the one we, we want to walk in is the fear of the Lord, Right? Reverence, awe. It's interesting, the word honor actually defined one of the definitions of the word honor is reverence. Okay? So we have these contrasting fears, and we'll see this in Exodus 20.20. Israelites have come to, the Mount, of, to Mount Sinai, right? Now, God wanted at that time a kingdom, a nation of priests. Right? But the Israelites were content to say at this point, now that's okay. We're cool. We'll be back here. Moses, you and Aaron, go do your thing. Right? They got fearful. They got afraid. They didn't want to go to the mountain. Right? And Moses says to them, don't fear. For the Lord has come to put his fear in you. Now that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't be terrified because God has come and he wants to put his fear in you. Hmm. These are the two contrasting fears. 
They were fearful in the natural. What God wanted to put in them was His fear, right? So that you may not sin. Now, we, we do have to make a discrepancy here and distinguish the fact that this is Old Testament, right? There's New Testament. There's a dynamic shift that happens. And we're going to see that played out in some of the scriptures later on as we, as we delve more into the fear of the Lord, okay? But this is important, right? Don't fear. Don't be afraid in the natural or don't be religiously fearful, but have the fear of the Lord, right? So that you may not sin. Okay. And we see this come out again in Hebrews chapter 10. So I want to bring this up uh, starting in verse 18, kind of a cross-reference for that of Exodus 20.20. It says, You have not come, starting in verse 18, to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of the trumpet and the sounds of words, which the sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. He's describing what the Israelites were experiencing. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriads of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And before I hit these last two verses, notice Moses says he was in fear and trembling. But did that prevent Moses from going and fellowshipping with the Lord face to face? No, right? I believe there's a difference between the fear that Israel had of not wanting to be around God, that's too much for us, you know, we don't want to deal with it, and Moses, who was in fear and trembling, but knew who God was. Why? Because he had seen God, not seen him face to face, I mean, could see him and live, but he had seen who God is, just the way David had revelation of God in worship that was way before his time, right? Moses had a revelation of, of who God was. He knew God was compassionate. He knew God was loving. That's why he could go ahead, even though he was in fear and trembling, he could go, I can still spend time with God. He's calling me to himself. I can go fellowship with him. Verse 25. Now we're going to see this again. Of, of understanding and seeing God in his fullness. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promising yet one more time, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yes, once more, yet once more denotes the removing of the things which can be shaken as of created things so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God acceptable service with what? Reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's this both and that we see. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dissect that a little bit when we get to the New Testament verses. But I want to read some Old Testament passages in relationship to the fear of the Lord. I believe there's some, some nuggets here for us, some truth that we can begin to digest. The first one, Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean or pure, enduring what? Forever. Forever. What are some other things that we know according to the scriptures endure forever? 
Yeah, faith, hope, and love. His loving kindness, what? Over and over again, endures forever. Now, that became a mantra for the priests and the, those who were worshiping in the temple. His loving kindness, his righteousness, his glory, his name. I didn't even exhaust the list. It probably would have been, I'd have still been reading. But we see that the fear of the Lord is in good company. It endures forever. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1, 7, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1, 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord, as we've mentioned this already, is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and of the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14.27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16, 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Interesting or note here that he rests satisfied. He's content, right? So we see that coupling, godliness as fear of the Lord and contentment. Proverbs 22.4 the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Proverbs twenty three seventeen. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Here's a one that we quote quite often. Proverbs thirty one, thirty and thirty one. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who what? Fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. O oh Lord, if you were to keep a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are to be feared. He ties forgiveness and the fear of the Lord together, right? It's our understanding of forgiveness. And really, as we're going to see, that's what the fear of the Lord does. It just puts things in proper perspective. Who we are, who we were, who God is. We see correctly. We're able to see God in his fullness. Malachi 2.5, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. Could also be translated, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. 1 Corinthians, or, or I'm sorry, as we saw, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but, and I want to be careful here. I'm not saying the fear of the Lord is the fullness of wisdom, right? It says it's the beginning of knowledge. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the gateway into these things. 
We know, according to 1 Corinthians 1.30 and Colossians 2, 2, and 3, that Jesus is the fullness of wisdom, right? But does that mean we put aside the fear of the Lord? No. As a matter of fact, I see it, and the, the only analogy that I can come up with is when we talk about the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, when Rick began to unpack that as I got here, and really I began to have my eyes open to see that, right? Love and faith are the two rails that our train rides on, if you will. And I don't even know how to describe this, but the fear of the Lord is that which keeps us on the rails. Right? I don't know if it's weight, or if it's the thing that keeps the rails from falling apart. I I don't know. I'm just at the, like I said, I'm really just starting to unpack this. But the fear of the Lord is, I think, essential for us. It keeps us. As we get into the New Testament, I think it'll become more clear, but it keeps us going on love and faith. Love and faith is what we operate on, right? But the fear of the Lord is, is a key ingredient in that mix. To help us have proper perspective of God, it keeps us going in the right direction. It keeps our train from jumping the tracks, if you will. Our awe and reverence for God affects also how we see our fellow man. The Jewish people really understood this And I've shared this before. I can't remember if it was on a Sunday morning or not. So forgive me if I did share it the last message I spoke. But the Ten Commandments, right? There are five commandments on each tablet. And there are four that deal with God directly. And then six that deal with our relationship with mankind, right? And on the first tablet, you have those first four that deal directly with God, right? No idols, you know, nothing before him, right? That fifth one is honor. Remember we said the word honor can mean reverence. Honor your father and mother. And then we see the scriptures talk about this is the the only commandment with a promise that you may live long in the earth, right? Um, Honor your father and mother. Now the Jewish, the rabbis and and the Jewish people would say that the reason it's on the first commandment with God the commandments about God is that if you can't honor your father, father and mother, you can't honor God. You're not honoring God if you don't honor your father and mother, right? So even as we look in relationship, how we see God, whether we're operating in, in good fear, the fear of the Lord, reverence, awe towards God is going to affect how we operate towards one another, right? That's why it says in James 3.8, we curse men. Who are what? Made in the image of who? God. See that connection there? Right? The reason we shouldn't curse men is because it's wrong to curse, even though it is. It's because they are made in the image of God. If we see God the way that he is, we'll begin to see man the way that we should see him. It goes right back to this morning. Right? Right eyes, seeing God, will see the way God sees. The fear of the Lord. Let's look at the New Testament. And and before we even jump into scriptures, I want to clarify. We want to be motivated, compelled, or controlled by love, right? Those are the two tracks, love and faith. That's what we ride on. But the fear of the Lord is key here, right? It's a gateway. It helps keep us in the right place. It gives us proper perspective of God. It reminds us who we are in light of Him. It reminds us who we were before he rescued us, right? I believe as we walk 
in reverence and awe and the fear of the Lord before God, it will actually give us a deeper understanding of the love of God. It really will. When we understand the holiness of God, of who he is, then I can go, wow. I, I didn't deserve this. God had no legal obligation to save me, to rescue me. He did it out of his amazing love. I don't deserve to be in his presence, but, right? Hebrews 11.6 says, those who come to him must believe that he is. He is what? He's everything that he said in his word that he is. Yes, he is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, but he is also holy, just, righteous. I want to see him in everything that he is. I want the revelation of everything that he is. Not just the things that are comfortable for me or that I would prefer to see him in, right? Look, anyone that's been around me for a long enough time knows I love to get joyful in the Lord, right? I mean, I'll take anything that, that comes my way in relationship to that. I could be out on the floors for hours. It would be easy for me to just kind of live in that, right? In his presence is fullness of joy. Boom, let's do it, All right? Let's, let's have a Holy Ghost party. But I don't want to do that simply because that feels really good to me. And I love it, and it feels really good, and I highly recommend it. But I want to know him in the fullness of his holiness. And I'll confess, I'm not there. You know, there's areas in my life that need a lot of work in relationship to that. But I want to know him. It's just like this contrast that Paul says. You know, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. How many of you signed up for that? Right? But Paul wanted to know God in his fullness. And we should want to pursue God in his fullness. And the fear of the Lord is a part of that equation. Do I want to spend all my days in trembling before him? No. But there are times when I probably need to spend some time trembling before him. It's for my good. As I I mentioned, God is not a cruel taskmaster, but he is also not a one-armed bandit. Right? We don't just get to play the lottery with God all the time. And nor should we approach him that way. But he's not, you know, the heavy-handed guy. He's not the cosmic cop with the billy club. But he's also not Santa Claus. Right? We've got to see him for who he is. He is a loving father. And absolutely, we need the revelation of that in its fullness but he's also a holy God. And we need the revelation of that in its fullness. Remember, this is a good fear. This is reverence and awe for God. This is seeing God in his fullness. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. It's both and. I think a lot of times we get tripped up because... Our finite natural minds can't wrap ourselves around being both at the same time. Why? Because we really can't be both at the same time. And and Jesus talked about that, you know. We can't serve two masters. 
right? But God's not beholden to any masters. He is the master. He can be kind and severe. He can be loving and just. He can be good and holy. It's who he is. Now, I want to lay some foundation for this because I've quoted a lot of Old Testament stuff. I want to talk about the New Testament, right? The sum of his word is truth, Psalm 119, 161. Then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, Acts 9.31 is where I'm at, had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied, both hands. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to necessarily put two together, but maybe they needed the comfort of the Holy Spirit because of the fear of the Lord, right? God, you're awesome. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But they were doing both. How about this? From Luke chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. Jesus, when he perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them and took what he had been laying on and and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear. Saying, we have seen strange things today. They glorify God and they were filled with fear. Luke chapter 7, 15 and 16. So when he, was, when he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented them to his mother, to, presented him to his mother, then fear came upon them all and they glorified God. Saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. Filled with fear, glorified God. Philippians 2.12, our admonition from Paul. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. 1 Peter 1.17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. And finally, out of Revelation 15. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. The Lord God Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come worship before you. Your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not fear and glorify your name? Both and. And that's where I'm going to leave off this morning because if I could keep going. I literally had to toss out six, seven more pages that I had because that's how much there is. As we turn this corner into godliness being connected to or related to the fear of the Lord, what we see in the, in the New Testament, right? They had both. And again, I think there's so much more here for all of us individually and corporately, and I'm sure we will revisit this. I'm very confident that this is going to come back up. But I want you to begin to search this out, okay? And we talked about some things that are, I believe, 
pretty good that we can land on, right? So let's hit those again real quick. Number one, God calls us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We should be disciplining ourselves, right? As Paul talked about, I buffet my body, I make it my slave. He disciplined himself for the purpose of godliness, of being, let godliness be accompanied by contentment. That's an area we can all work on, right? In our devotion towards God, in our living reverently in awe of who he is, that we can be content in our circumstances. If we see him as he is, we will we'll have that confidence to be content, right? I'm going through a very hard time financially right now. It's just been one thing after another. I know a lot of that's just the Lord testing us. But here's the great thing. I've already been through this. I've been around this mountain and I've passed this test. You know? So I trust God. I see Him as Jehovah Jireh. He has provided so much in my life in circumstances that are way worse than they are now that I don't have an issue in that area in being confident in who God is and walking in contentment. But there are other areas in my life, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, that I struggle in still. I haven't seen God for who he is. And that may cause me to be less content in some of those circumstances, right? So we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We want godliness to be accompanied by contentment, being satisfied with God. He is enough. Number three, let godliness and holiness go together in our lives. That purification process, the Lord is working out those things in us that need to be worked out of our lives, right? Cleansing ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit, right? That's going to help us to continue to walk in godliness. Number four, let godliness guide us into a devoted and devout life. If you remember those four things that I mentioned, pursuit of the knowledge of God, walking in the fear of God, living in the love of God, hungering after the presence of God. Those are the signs of a devoted life. And finally, let God remind us to walk reverently before him in the fear of the Lord. That he would show us what that looks like. And we're all in a different place and we're all going to, that's going to mean something different to us. Some of you came out of a heavy-handed, fear-based background, whether it was your parents or your church, right? And you don't need to go back to that. That's that second kind of wrong fear, all right? But there is a, a reverent awe fear of God that he's called us to walk in. So be careful as you're working this out with fear and trembling that you don't go back to the wrong fear, right? Perfect love casts out fear. It casts out the wrong fear. So we want love, that understanding that God, yes, loving Father. It's who he is. He is love, so we experience love. He is joy, so we experience joy but he's also holy, righteous, and just. And so there needs to be that balance in our lives of that. But some of us, you know, we've gone off the deep end on the other end. We've been presumptuous with God, right? Is he our friend? Absolutely. But it's on his end, right? He determines the parameters of our friendship, right? And thankfully, he does call us friends. I mean, we need that. We need to understand that. But we don't presume on his friendship. 
right? He has that role as a, you know, a father in our lives. And just as we should have a complete understanding that our parents love us, we should also have reverence and honor and respect for the position that they hold in our lives as parents, right? I see this as a teacher, you know, in the lives of parents and children as, as their students in my class, right? Some parents want so desperately to be their kid's best friend. They're not called to be their best friend or their friend's best friend, which is even more weird and creepy, right? Some stuff needs to be worked out there. They're called to be parents. And in that position, that kid should have a reverence and awe. I mean, I can't tell you how it drives me crazy when I hear some of the kids, the way they talk to their parents. If I talk to my parents that way, how many, raise your hand right now, come on. You know? <laughs> my wife, New York, Puerto Rican mom, she caught a shoe, man. I mean, that was, I may have my mouth washed out. But there's, there isn't a okay paradigm there. As a parent, it's, yes, the juxtaposition of you love them more than they can comprehend, but you're also in that place of authority and you have that position in their lives that there should be some reverence and awe of, the, of who you are in that position. Does that make sense? Y'all with me today? Okay, just making sure. If you've got questions, concerns, whatever, we can get into it, but... Like I said, there's, there's a lot more here, and I'm sure we will revisit it. But I hope I've made you hungry to seek some of this out for yourself. You know, because that's, that's what we should be doing, right? We want to feed you, but not too much. Um, and that's what the Lord was doing with me during this whole deal. I've got more I need to go home and spend a week just buried in this subject. I've ordered six books already. So, it's good. Amen? So as I pray, um, you know, if we get some people up front, that would be great. Or Tom, you want to handle that? I'll just close this in prayer, and I'll let Tom dictate traffic up here. (laughs) So Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. And just as we came out of that worship time this morning, I just felt was so ordained by you, Lord, for our eyes to be open, to see you for who you are. We want the fullness, God. You promised fullness, Lord, and we want the fullness. We don't want to be satisfied with that which makes us feel good or tickles our ears, Lord, or Father is comfortable for us. We invite you, Lord, into every area of our life, like it says in Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search us and see if there's any way of pain in us, God, and lead us in the everlasting way. Show us where we're blind. Lord, show us where we've we've not seen correctly. Lord, those areas in our lives, Father, where we've either presumed upon you, Lord God, or we've been presented a wrong image of who you are. Lord, we want to walk in godliness. You told us to discipline ourselves. You told us to pursue it. You told us you've given everything pertaining to godliness, God, and we're to add it to our faith. Show us what that looks like, Lord. As you continue to reveal truth to us, Holy Spirit, take it and make it truth in our lives. God, may our response to it be, your will be done, not ours, God. Your word transform us from the inside out, God. 
Make us more in the image of your son, Jesus. We want to live pleasing, holy, godly lives before you, Lord, so that the world around us can see Jesus when they look at us. They can hear Jesus when we speak. They can find Jesus when they seek him, Lord. We just thank you for this morning, God. Seal it up, Lord. Whatever wasn't of your word, God, just let it drift off to the side, Lord God. In Jesus' name. That's a great word, Doug. You know, and it goes going back to that, you know, scripture and the main passage in Second Peter chapter one. Um, you know, I taught a couple weeks ago on self-control and perseverance. And you know, it says, "Supply perseverance, and in your perseverance, supply godliness." Um, in your perseverance, supply godliness. So we. We, we need godliness to, for, to even persevere into the things of God. It's the right, it's an attitude. There's an attitude thing going on there. So I guess my prayer, I mean, th- this morning for us, and if you want to, you know, those of you might want to come up, I, I, really the thing that convicted me was that there's the whole the fear thing, you know, really being able to distinguish a healthy fear of God versus a, just a worldly fear. Because what, fear of this life, th- the fear in this life is just the opposite of love, right? Because... And so if we're not operating in love, and yet we have fear, then that should be a sign that something's, um, something's amiss, right? But if, the, if there's love with the, a, a reverence, a fear, there's a deep love with that reverence, that's a sign, that's a healthy kind of fear. And so if you're struggling with that, you know, man, I just, I just, I don't feel that love of the Lord, that contentment and love of the Father and that fear that I have, could be a circumstance and again i think it comes back to seeing with these natural senses that we're not seeing the way the lord wants us to see in the spirit it's really what it comes down to so i would just invite you to come if you want to but i'll close in prayer this morning lord we just thank you god for this awesome word lord it's just so insightful and 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 just brings great revelation and, and truth of your word lord to our hearts and i thank you god for that and Lord, I just would invite those who would maybe be struggling with the fear, wrong kind of fear, Lord. We'd just like to pray for those and invite those to come up. Uh, people, anybody who'd like to pray for people to come up and, uh, and be available this morning. But otherwise, I just pray, God, for a blessing this week, Lord. And I know that as we continue to press in, Lord, in the area, this whole has, thing has to do with faith. And Lord, I just really see... Lord, beginning, the Lord, this, to really begin to understand, Lord, what you're drawing us to, a deeper, a deeper level of trusting and believing in your character, your nature, your word, Lord God, that transforms our, the way we think, the way we see things, the way we understand, Lord, every aspect of our lives, Lord God, because if we can believe all things, Lord, there, we're, we're going to be partakers of the divine nature, Lord, we're going to be able to see and understand. We're going to know, Lord, your movements. We're going to know and understand, Lord, what your heart is in all things. To me, that just brings such great uh, hope. Lord, such great hope. So, Lord, we just bless you today, God. We thank you, God, that you've been faithful and just in all things, Lord. So we love you and praise you, and I pray for a blessed week for everyone. God bless you as you go. In Jesus' name. Amen.